Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 is where we're at. Kind of a revisiting of a, a passage that we saw in the Gospel of Mark uh, with a little bit of additional information. Let me read, and then we'll have a word of prayer. Immediately Jesus met his disciples, get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was, was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat, excuse me, then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray together. Truly, you are the Son of God. And Lord, we're so very thankful that you are the Son of God, that you are Lord of creation, Lord of our lives. Very thankful for all that you are. So Lord, we lift up this message to you today. We pray for our hearts that um, our hearts would be yours. And Father, we pray for those who are suffering in the fire today. And we all know about that really well. And so... We pray for your mercy to be poured out on them, for your grace. We pray for your people to be right where they should be, Lord, to minister, to help, to serve, to bless, to assist, Lord. And so, Lord, we know that you're there, we know that you're here, and so we thank you, Lord. We commit this time to you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So today's wasn't expecting all this. Yeah. Give me a minute. Maybe we should do meet and greet again. I don't know. <laughs> so in 1991, the Lord told us to get in the boat come to Napa and uh, we're really glad we did and uh, it's been a bit bumpy at times every boat ride is and uh, but where I find myself right now in this time of life um, is that I'm kind of like Peter um, really, really knowing, really needing to know, and I do know that Jesus is saying, be of good cheer, verse 27, it's me, don't be afraid. And so, um, as of October 1st, I'm going to be stepping away from the church and uh, passing it on to Pastor Rob. And... Uh, so this has been in the works for like five years. We've been keeping a, a secret for a long time from you guys. You can laugh anytime it's going to help me. Um, so I'm um, not going not to leave, just going to change hats. I've been practicing uh, wearing an assistant pastor hat for some time now. So I've been going to the fitting rooms and um, trying them on, and I'm getting very used to the idea. Five years ago, um, I'm 62 now. When I was 57, I came to Debbie and said, I think... I think I need to plan for my um, transition, you know, and, she, and she's really funny. She goes, you're just getting good. I said, well, thanks for that, just, you know. <laughs> um, so thank you, sweetheart. And, uh, and, but I just had this really, really strong feeling that um, 
I needed to, to get in front of things and not, not be reactive with my life, not be waiting till something happens or I get sick or, you know, Lord willing, get disqualified. Praise God, you know, he's protected us, you know. Or just, so, I don't want to wait till something catastrophic happens before, you know, handing the church off to a younger man. And, and older men are supposed to do, to do that. We're supposed to train up younger people and hand off the ministry and then be around as long as we can to help them and to, and to cover their back and to lift up their arms. And so it's very biblical to do this kind of thing. And, uh, you know, some of my colleagues um, seem to wait a really long time. They, uh, you know, we, we have a little saying uh, with pastors that sometimes we feel like we have a shelf life. You know, we don't last as long as Twinkies do, you know. Twinkies will go into the, into the apocalypse, you know, but pastors, not as long of a shelf life. But um, it's just good to be thinking that way. And so I started thinking that way and kind of started talking to Debbie about it and talking to our board. And uh, started, we started reading some books together about pastoral transition and studying it. And some of the guys really got into it, read, read a, the, a, a thesis, a doctoral thesis statement by Dave Rolfe and it just made sense, you know, it just makes sense to, to, to not think you're going to last forever. And um, so in October, it'll be 27 years of, of ministry. And uh, anyway, the process started five years ago. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned it to a few of you guys. And uh, so we, we brought uh, Adam Dolhanic down uh, from Seattle and, and Adam and I talked it through and we worked, you know, we, we said, let's investigate and see if, if it's a good fit. And after a couple, two and a half years or so, it was hard for us to determine, you know, it's not, it's not a good fit. It doesn't feel quite right. And so Adam's pastoring a church now in, in Oregon, a Wesleyan church. And so you can look him up online. It's called Faith on Hill. So uh, if you don't know that, now you do. Maybe you can say hi to him online or something like that. And then... Uh, Rob's going to come and share his story in a little while. We have a lot of questions. We have a bunch of questions that we want to answer. We've been trying to anticipate, um, you know, what to share with you guys and, and what questions there might be. And so, excuse this, it's going to be a snotty day, sorry. Um, so we, we want to talk through all that with you guys. Um, and so we're going to do that. But I'm in that place now of, of feeling a little bit like Peter, just like, wow, you know, we followed you and, and now emotionally, it's kind of a bumpy ride, and you know, Lord, is it you? And and He says, Yeah, it's me. Keep going, you know. And so I don't have any doubts about it, but just emotionally, I connect with Peter on this thing. What I wanted to do, that being so, I just wanted to get that out up front, so I'm not blubbering my way through the message here, and and so that we can make some applications, because whenever there's change, I know people hate change, you know. Um, I, I'm not fond of it, you know. Um, especially when you've done something for so long and, and been in it for so long. Um, but we're not supposed to live by our feelings, are we? Amen? I'm going to need you guys to say amen a lot today. We're not supposed to live by our feelings, are we? We're not supposed to. We're supposed to follow Jesus. And so look at verse 22. We're going to work our way through. I wanted to tell you that up front because I want to make applications to my own life and to the church life as we go through this passage today. I didn't want to waste it. didn't want to waste the applications, you know, and, and be very pointed with you guys and, and not give you some hypothetical, you know, message. But this is a real life thing, nuts and bolts kind of thing. Verse 22, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. We remember in the Gospel of Mark that the multitudes had wanted to make Jesus king. They intended something for him that was, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right place. It wasn't the right circumstances. And so Jesus just sent the, the multitude away and he sent the disciples away, I think, to protect them. They loved Jesus, you know. And they wanted to, they, they may have gotten caught up in this idea of making him king too. Yeah, he can be king and we, we can be in on it too, you know. So Jesus just broke up that whole thing. He wouldn't let it continue on. He didn't want his guys to be influenced by the mob mentality. And we don't want to be influenced by a mob mentality or anything apart from the Spirit of God speaking into our hearts by the Word of God. Verse 23, When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was alone there. So we remember from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus had been trying to get alone for a long time. Jesus had intentionally just said, everybody, you know, go your own way. I need to be alone for a while. 
Part of what's going to be happening with me is when, when Pastor Rob takes the church in October, I'm going to uh, be on a three-month sabbatical. I'm going to get away. I've been told I need it. <laughs> I talked to a lot of pastors this week. We were down in Orange County at a pastor's conference, and I was, I've been bouncing this whole idea off colleagues and guys my age and guys older and guys that have been through it, and they're all telling me, just take a break. And I was like, I don't want to take a break. You know, just take a break. You know, it's going to be good for you. And so... Uh, I'm, I'm, it's, the idea is growing on me, you know, a little bit about taking a break. So uh, from October till, till the first of the year, I'll just be gone. I, I did receive a, uh, an invitation to go to Peru to teach at a Bible college for three weeks, so I'm going to do it. Um, and just going to be home, and Debbie and I are going to have some getaways, and we're just going to seek the Lord and see, see what new thing that God wants to do with us, you know, and how he wants to use us. So Jesus, too needed some time alone, you know? And so you guys too, if you need sabbatical time or time away, uh, have somebody force you to do it. <laughs> you know, you might, might take that for some of you guys. So there's 24. So they, they obey the Lord and, and look what it gets them. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And the fourth watch, in verse 25, excuse me, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So the predicament seems to be really bad at this point. Uh, the setting is that they took off as the sun was setting. Even, evening was coming. And so the fourth watch of the night is between 3 and 6 in the morning. So they've been going at it 8, 9, 10, 12 hours. They've been obeying Jesus and it's taking everything they've got to obey Jesus. Physically, and emotionally and mentally. And these guys are seasoned fishermen. They know how deadly the storms can be in the Sea of Galilee. They understand that. So they're not, their fear is not unfounded. Their fear is, is very accurate and very, very much founded and, and, and grounded in truth. They were in the middle of the sea, which tells us that the safety of the shore is equally far away no matter which direction they go. Now, it could be argued, well, if you go back, then the wind will help you get there more quickly. So it's easier for them at this point to go backwards. But to go backwards would be to disobey the Lord because he said, I want you to go forward. It's going to be harder for you to go forward. It's easier to go backwards. So they're in the middle, and they're in the middle of it, and now they have to make a decision. Do we disobey the Lord and go backwards, which is easier, or do we obey the Lord and go forwards, which is harder, but that's what he wants for us? So it's a very interesting time when he meets them. Uh, why the storm? And, and I stole this from somebody, I don't remember who. They're probably not going to watch this video anyway, so it's okay. Someone said, there are storms of correcting and there are storms of perfecting. There are storms of correction and storms of perfection. Sometimes the Lord needs to throw us in the boat and put us out in the, in the storm to bring some humility and to bring some brokenness to us because we've been living life apart from him. We're just kind of, you know, doing our own thing and ignoring him to some degree. And he needs to get our attention and he'll, in his love, it's the, it's the discipline of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 12. It's the discipline of the Lord to bring his children back in line with his fatherhood, if you will. But there are other storms that come into our lives that have nothing to do with correction. They're for, they're for perfection, for the perfecting of the saints, for the maturing of the saints. The Lord leads, leads us forward and there's nothing wrong and it gets difficult. It's not punishment. And so, you know, some of you guys, if you're in a storm today and you're saying, you know, why am I in this storm today? What did I do to deserve this? Maybe nothing. Maybe it's because you're obedient and you're doing exactly the right thing. So, storms of correction... Storms of perfection. But note what I wrote here in verse, under verse 24. It's better, guys, follow, look at, if you would, it's better to follow Jesus and be fearful in the storm than to be safe with the crowds. Amen? It's better to follow Jesus in the storm when it's hard than to be safe with the crowds. Don McClure is a pastor who's, who's spoken into my life for 25 years. Got a, I got his name all over this Bible, notes from him and all kinds of quotes. And he's a man that has been used by God to start a lot of churches. He's the kind of guy that starts a church, he's there for five years, hands it off and starts another church, has started a Bible college, done a lot of, of good work in the kingdom of God. And, if, and some years ago, we were down at Mount Hermon, Debbie, and I think you were there. I don't know if you were or not. If you weren't, you should have been. I, w I wish you would have been. 
And uh, he, was, he, was, he had been stagnant for a while. Hadn't started anything new. And that's just how God uses him. And um, he was starting something new. And uh, he said, it's good to be afraid again. And I just thought, that's really great. It's good to be afraid again. Because when you're afraid, you're out, it's, when you're afraid, it's because you, you don't have any human resources to fall back on. It's just Jesus. And when it's just Jesus, you're never closer than when it's just Jesus. And so it goes contrary to our human nature. But there's something really beautiful about that holy desperation when we're in a storm and there's nothing but Jesus. And so, verse 26, this is really just humorous to me. Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. So they need Jesus, but he comes in a way that they don't expect. We talked about this in Mark a while back. Jesus comes to them in a way they don't expect. Not only do they not expect it, but they think it's bad news. Things were bad, now they're worse. You know, we were fighting a storm, but now we're fighting a storm and a ghost. (laughs) But it's really interesting to me that the very thing that they needed comes to them in a way they weren't expecting. Once again, how, how contrary to our human nature can the life of faith be? Guys, if you, if you, if I, if we live by pragmatism and by logic all the time, we're probably missing out on a life of faith. We're probably missing out on the tremendous blessings that God wants to give us. We're going along, our families are okay and all that kind of stuff, but there's often more uh, that comes when we're living a life of faith as opposed to pragmatism. The pragmatic ones in the boat would have said, let's go back. Then they would have been back. God would have, still would have used them. But they would have missed walking, watching Peter walk on the water. They would have missed watch, watching Jesus walk on the water. They would have missed all this. Pragmatism would have caused them to miss out on the miraculous. And so it often happens in our lives, in my life, in your life. We're in the middle of a storm and Jesus comes. And we don't even recognize him. So it takes some maturing, doesn't it? I want to really want to encourage you guys. Don't be so quick to rely on your common sense. I'm not saying throw common sense out the window, but we're called to be people of faith, not, not common sense. The Bible stories that we love and teach our kids, you know, there's no common sense in David fighting Goliath. There's no common sense in that, but that's what we teach the little kids over there. We draw pictures about it. We have little books about it, right? There's no common sense to that, but it was an act of faith, etc., etc. So be careful to not just live by pragmatism and common sense and logic. Be, be men and women of faith. Verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. This is always the answer for the Christian who's facing fear. Jesus said two things to them. He said, number one, be of good cheer because I'm here. That's your reason for joy. My presence is your reason for joy. And secondly, because I'm here, don't be afraid. Be joyful because I'm here and because I'm here, don't be afraid. Notice what Jesus did not immediately say. He didn't say, be of good cheer because I'm going to do something great. He didn't say, be of good cheer because I'm going to make the problem go away. And many times we are so committed to prayer about, Lord, I'm in this mess, make the problem go away. And instead he comes and says, why are you worried about the problem? I'm here. It's contrary to human nature. It's a paradox. But guys, once again, if you live uh, simply by human nature, you're not going to enjoy the miraculous, amazing things that God wants to do. If you live only by your emotions, you're going to miss so much. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying, you know, you're, 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 as they say, your, your life of faith is going to be a mile wide and an inch deep. You have all your favorite teachers and all your favorite worship teams and all your favorite this and that and all these favorite things, but you never experience it because if it doesn't make sense or feel good, you don't do it. Same with me. You don't think I'm preaching to myself? I totally am. And so Jesus comes to us and he says, look it, don't be afraid because I'm here. So be joyful. He didn't say, don't be afraid because I'm going to fix it. Jesus is the answer, Right? Look what David Gusick says. There are two good reasons to put away fear. One reason may be that the problem is not nearly as bad as as one had thought. Perhaps you are afraid because you exaggerate the danger. That happens. 
The other reason is that even though the problem may be real, there is an even greater solution and help at hand. That's the situation for Peter here. It's a real problem, but there's a greater solution. Verse 28 Oh, oh, yeah, verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. I appreciate that, that Peter wasn't sure if it was Jesus and asked for divine proof. And that word, that word in the Greek, the word, whenever you see the word if in your Bible, it can also mean since. So Peter might be saying, well, I'm not sure if it's you, but if it's you, then tell me to come. Or Peter might be saying, since it's you, tell me to come. But either way, it kind of doesn't matter because Peter was submitting to the identity and the lordship of Jesus over the situation. If this is bad, Lord, call me out and show me that it's you. Prove yourself. Peter did not say, I love what Peter doesn't say. He said, if it's you, make the storm go away. He didn't say that. He didn't say, Lord, if it's you, make my fear go away. He didn't say that. He said, Lord, if it's you, draw me close to you. How good is that, you guys? If it's you, help me fight through the fear of all of this. If it's you, help me get to you in a way I've never gotten to you before. If it's you, don't let anything keep me from coming to you. That's the prayer we should be praying. Not make the storm go away. Or not make my fear go away. Jesus met Peter in the midst of the storm and in the midst of his fear. Not not away from it, not apart from him. He didn't meet him on the shore. He met him on the water. Verse 29 and 30. So he said, come, and when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Peter is, in my opinion, to be greatly commended for his courageous request and initial steps of faith. What a thing to say. Either that he was just a bold-faced idiot or something. I don't know. I just think he was just this tremendous man of faith. Just, Lord, if it's you, tell me to walk on the water. When his focus was on Jesus, he enjoyed the miraculous. He did something that he never could do. Notice, guys, he was the only one that responded to Jesus. The other 11 guys just sat there hanging on. I mean, he had great faith. He alone obeyed Jesus and walked on the water. Nobody else said, yeah, I'll come too. (laughs) They're all watching. They're watching God do a miracle with Peter. If the Lord puts it in your heart to say, Lord, uh, draw me close to you in the midst of this thing, and then he asks you, okay, this is how we're going to do it, then respond. But don't take the easy way, and I don't know what was in the hearts of the disciples, but maybe the other 11 were, were saying, sure glad it's him and not me. I guess what I'm trying to say, I don't know that I can absolutely prove it from the text, but I think it's strongly suggested. There are those who do and those who watch. There are those who walk with the Lord and there are those who watch other people walk with the Lord. Many Christians live vicariously through other Christians' lives. They're excited to see the testimonies and hear the miracles. They never experience it. It just shouldn't be that way, should it? We have to fight through fear. We have to fight through emotions. We have to fight through the advice of loving family and friends that tell us, if you do this, why are you doing this? This doesn't make any sense because I have a strong sense that God wants me to do this. Yeah, but, but, but what about retirement? What about college education for your kids? What about, what about, what about? The Lord has put it on my heart to do it. And then that's the person that gets to experience all the benefits of that kind of faith. Others might watch and get blessed, but they never have that really deep experience. But Peter looked around and he saw the wind and he saw the waves. 
He took his focus off of Jesus. It's easy for any of us to do that. I've done it over the last 27 years. I've taken my focus off of Jesus. I'm just a man. The best of men are men at best, to quote Alistair Begg, and we all do it, and so it happens, and we sink a bit. A commentator named Bruce said this, Peter walked on the water, but he feared the wind. Of the two, which is more fearful? (laughs) It makes more sense to fear the water than the wind. Because the wind's not going to make you sink. The water, the, you know, walking on the water could make you sink. So he believed the greater thing and feared the lesser thing, which is kind of a strange thing. Peter walked on the water but feared the wind, such as human nature, often achieving great things and at fault in little things. But he wisely called out to Jesus. And then Jesus asks him this wonderful question that we should always ask ourselves or, or let him ask us. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Hey, why, why, did, why didn't you just continue on in faith? You started out really well. Why did, why did you stop? Why did you doubt? So he's asking Peter to search his heart. When we doubt, we need to ask ourselves, is there a good reason for my doubt? Emotions is not a good reason for doubting God. Emotions are the thing that collides with faith. They always collide, don't they? Anybody else? Emotions and faith are always colliding. So, Is there a good reason for my doubt? And the second question when we doubt, the second question we should ask ourselves, will anything good come from my doubt? I can speak personally. <laughs> Nothing good has ever come from my doubt. When we have faith, we have a good reason for our faith. Right? When we have faith, we have a good reason for our faith, right? Jesus, right? Amen? When we have faith, we have a very good reason for our faith. The Lord is faithful. He's going to work all things together for good. He's made us great and precious promises. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He's perfecting us. God the Father is conforming us into the image of Christ. When I have faith, I have lots of good reasons to have faith. But when I have doubts, I have no good reasons to have doubts. I have emotions. I have fears. I have bad counsel counsel of the world, or even the loving counsel of Christian friends and family who aren't called to have the same kind of faith to walk on the water like I'm called to have. So when we have doubts, we don't have good reasons to have doubts. When we have faith, we have great reasons to have faith. Those two things collide. David Gusick, my friend David Gusick, Peter shows us the weakness of little faith. Little faith is often found in places where we might expect great faith. Little faith is too, far too eager for signs. Little faith is apt to have too high an opinion of its own power. Little faith is too much affected by its surroundings. Little faith is too quick to exaggerate the peril. But Peter also shows us some of the strengths of little faith. Little faith is true faith. It's genuine. Little faith will obey the word of Jesus. Little faith struggles to come to Jesus. Little faith will accomplish great things for a time at least. Little faith will pray when it's in trouble, as Peter did. And little faith is safe because Jesus is near. The Lord doesn't call us to put on superhero costumes and, and never show you know, weakness. Guys, when we're weak, it's okay because when we're weak, if we'll submit to him, then we're strong. The Lord's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Why? Because in our weakness, we don't depend on our own strength. We depend on his strength. And amazing things happen. And it's always going to be a fight for you. It's always going to be a fight for me to put aside the emotions and put aside the fears and put aside the pride and put aside the ego and put aside the wondering of what people will say about what you're doing, and put everything aside, and to say, I live for one, and I believe I have his approval. To put aside all the, the well-intended counsel or the, badly, the, the bad counsel that people might intend. To put it all aside. And to have that kind of faith and acquaintance with the Lord is something we grow in. It starts small and it keeps getting bigger and deeper and wider. But guys, I just want to encourage you. I know Christians my age, once again, their faith is a mile wide and an inch deep because they'll never say, Lord, if it's you, tell me to do the hard thing. They'll only say, Lord, if it's you, make the storm go away. And that's not the way we're supposed to live. Lord, if it's you, draw me close to you. 
I need you more than I need an absence of a storm. Are you with me, guys? You with me? Say, say amen if you're with me. Amen. We need him more than the absence of problems. Verse 32 and 33, and then Pastor Rob's going to join me up here. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Among the followers of Jesus, there will always be those who step out in faith and those who watch others step out in faith. They watched what great faith can do and they watched what Jesus can do for a man with little faith. But they watched. Were they blessed? Absolutely. Were they as blessed as Peter? Mm-mm. No, they were not as blessed as Peter. Here's a summary down at the bottom. This entire incident ended with them worshiping Jesus and recognizing him as the Son of God. It started with them fearing for their lives. It ended up in a worship service. They had obeyed Jesus and ended up in a storm, fearing for their lives. They had experienced Jesus coming to them in a way they never prayed for or expected. We always talk about, can't put God in a box, can't put God in a box. Okay, then let's live that way. (laughs) We need to make t-shirts, right? Boxes with a circle around them and a slash. No boxes allowed, you know? He inhabits all of creation. They experienced mistaking his presence for something bad. They thought his leading was a bad thing. It was actually a good thing. Once again, they interpreted it by and large through their own fear. They experienced the bold faith of a fellow believer, Peter, and then they watched that faith falter and weaken. But I hope they dared not say anything because he got more done than they did, in my opinion, even though he faltered. They watched Jesus rescue a man and demonstrate his lordship over a frightening situation. Finally, they ended up worshiping him and recognizing his divinity and power. That's quite a story, isn't it? Relevant to my heart, obviously. Maybe relevant for some of you for different things. Maybe relevant for some of you regarding the transition that's happening with the church. Maybe so. I know people hate change by and large, and so... My great desire is that we realize changes are guaranteed in life. The church is not a machine, it's an organism. Machines stay the same. All machines do are get rusty and break down. Organisms change constantly and develop. And the church is an organism, it's a body. It's a life. So um, our plan now, Rob's going to come up and we have a bunch of questions that we chatted with a few people about that we anticipated that you guys might have some questions. And I just wanted to share very quickly with you a little bit of my journey, how I landed here today. And um, it has been faith step after faith step for me and Jessica as well. Uh, Many of you know, I'm sure most of you know, we moved here from Tennessee about a year and a half ago. Is this on? Can you guys hear me all right? Okay. Um, And... I knew Pastor Bill through Jessica. She moved out to Tennessee from Napa, and I met her there. And when things got pretty serious between she and I, uh, the first thing I had to do was contact Pastor Bill and get his approval. I had to to win his heart before I could even talk to her parents, frankly. And uh, he was very gracious, very kind. He really was supportive of me. And then obviously I won her her parents' hearts. But uh, a a relationship developed at that point with Pastor Bill. And we came out here and Pastor Bill officiated our wedding and that was when I met many of you and my first time here in Cornerstone. And so we, uh, we went back to Tennessee and I was ordained into the ministry not long after that, serving as a youth pastor and uh, an associate pastor. And that was my heart's desire, guys. I, I uh, really, truly desired to serve as a pastor and God had called me to that. And things were, were good. Things were going really well in Tennessee. We were set up, and uh, the people were for us. But there was something in my heart. Something told me that uh, we were supposed to be in California. And that was one of the stipulations that Jessica's dad 
had said when I asked for his blessing, he said, I want you to know that my heart's desire is that all my children would be in California. And I understood that, and I didn't know uh, what the Lord may or may not do, but to be honest, I kind of had that desire too. Well, we continued on in ministry, and uh, Pastor Bill took a real interest in me. Even from all the way across the country, I would send him my notes via email, he would critique them, he would listen to my sermons, and uh, he was, uh, really had an impact on my ministry even then. And our friendship just continued to develop. And one day, uh, just a passing comment via text, we were texting back and forth, and I, I made a little comment about, man, it would be great to be out in California one day. And he said, well, I'm going to call you, and we're going to talk about that. And I said, oh, wow. So he called me, and he said, hey, you know, this has been in my heart would love for you guys to come out. We really don't know what that would look like. There are so many different scenarios, so many moving parts. Uh, but that was the beginning of the conversation. And I'll just say over the next several months as we prayed about this and, and really considered it, the more convinced we became that the Lord was in this and that we were to come out here, the less it looked like there was anything to step into. The more uncertain things seemed to, uh, to become. But we became more and more convinced that God was calling us to this place. So when it got very serious, we told my pastor in Tennessee, because we believed that if God was in it, he would bless this, and they would send us out with a full blessing. And, uh, you know, it was hard. It was hard for our congregation there. It was hard for our pastor, uh, but he's so gracious, and they did send us out, but... People didn't want us to go, and it didn't make sense. And we even had one guy, uh, you know, he prophesied doom over us and came up and told Jessica that God was not going to bless our trip out here and that something tragic was going to happen to her. And mind you, she was pregnant at the time, and that really, you know, freaked her out, as you could imagine. So it was odd because, as I said, we were set up, and we really didn't know what we were stepping into out here. You know, for instance... You know, in Tennessee, where we lived, our rent was $200 a month, and that included water and power. Seriously. I mean, and it was just an odd thing uh, to, to come out here, and I didn't have a job. I didn't, you know, we, we had two cars. We were convinced that one of them wouldn't make it across the country, so we sold it, and then the car that we kept broke down in New Mexico. And so it was, you know, it was a lot of face steps, and it was bumpy as we went, and Honestly, I didn't even know if I was going to be a pastor when I came here. Um, One thing Pastor Bill had always been very adamant about is just because you have a title or a salary, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't make you anybody's pastor. And you have to uh, earn people's love and respect, and it has to be evident that God's hand is on you and that the people have embraced you. And so I didn't even ask Pastor Bill. When we finally came out here, I assumed that I was just, you know, Rob. And that I would be serving, I would get a job, and, um, and I was fine with that. And frankly, it was just a couple days before we moved that um, I called Bill, and he was like, oh yeah, by the way, you'll, you'll lead the youth ministry. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, you know. And so when I got out here, I said, well, you know, probably important, you know, am I youth leader, youth pastor? He said, are you ordained? I said, yeah. He said, well, then you're youth pastor. I said, okay. So we just kind of went with it, you know, and little by little, the Lord has blessed, and I was able to come on staff um, two days and three days and then full time, and um, I just said, God has, has uh, really opened the doors, and he's, he's blessed me through Pastor Bill. I've been privileged to learn and, and study and train under a guy like this. The church has, has been, you guys have embraced me, you have welcomed me in, you have loved me. And let me just say this, when I first sensed a call into the ministry early in my walk, you know, I had questions. I thought, I don't know the Bible. I don't know if I could teach it even if I did know it. And I don't really like people. And I don't really understand this. (laughs) And I was at a little pastoral training thing with a bunch of guys that were way out of my league. I mean, these brilliant young men and it was at a, at a Baptist church, and I was the one Calvary guy, and so I was like the, the black sheep in the bunch. And um, I actually just threw my hand up and said that, what I just said. And the, the youth pastor at that church, he said, you know, Rob, I'll tell you, it's hard to love people you don't know. And he said, when I came to this church, I didn't know any of these people, but when I 
when I got to know these kids and I developed a true love for them, and he said, I love these kids, I love my kids, and can I just say, I love you guys. I know exactly what he's talking about. I'm here, I have uh, walked among you, prayed for you, loved on you guys. You guys have been there for Jess and I every step of the way. And I love you, we love you. And it's our heart's desire to serve you and to shepherd and to teach and to pray and to weep and to, to love you however we can, sacrificially. And so that's my heart, that's Jess's heart. And I, I just want to say you know, thank you for letting us love and serve you guys. And thank you, Pastor Bill, for the impact that you've had on me and the privilege it has been and will continue to be to serve alongside you. I want a plaque. You're going to get one. <laughs> Would you like me to bring the stools up? Uh, sure. Thank you, guys. Make them fetch stuff for me while I'm still in charge. Well, we wanted to be absolutely transparent with you guys and, and hold nothing back uh, because we love you and because we love the church. And uh, the church is a bride of Christ. And uh, I was telling Rob, I, my daughter here is in the front row, Sarah, and her husband, Caleb. And, um, as, you know, Caleb knows I grilled this guy before I ever let him marry my daughter. I tell him he's still on probation. It's been 10 years. But I said, this is harder than than releasing my daughter. So that's how we feel about it. It's very serious for us. Very precious thing. How did I come to this decision? I shared with you guys, basically, it was a, it was a process. I had a few missteps along the way, uh, fig- figuring things out, but here we are. Who's on the board? Uh, Paul Schrader on the soundboard. He's on the board. Scott up here, who was playing bass. Aaron Mosley. Dave Wagner. Tim Keplin. Probably my missing somebody. Uh, Okay. Um, we, we intend to put that kind of information more prominently in the foyer for the future so you guys can know who to be in, in contact with. What's going to happen to Pastor Bill? I told you part of it. Um, I'm going to serve. Uh, you know, Rob and I are going to share the pulpit every other week until October. October to January, I'm going to take a three-month sabbatical, uh, seek the Lord, and then come back in January and, and help this man in whatever supportive role that I can, and uh, I trust that he is going to be receiving from the Lord uh, the direction of the church and how, to, how I can be best utilized, and um, he knows my gifts and the gifts that I don't have and that kind of thing, uh, but Debbie and I really want to uh, stand uh, with he and Jessica and do everything we can to support them and, uh, and help them. May so, I just yeah, please, yeah, yeah. I just want to say... Um, I am privileged in a way that a lot of young men are not. Pastor Bill is still going to be here to be a support and a safeguard to me and frankly to continue in some ways to to mentor me. Um, And I'm so grateful to have that. There's no one that's going to be more loyal to me than this guy. There's no one who is better experienced than this guy. There's no one who's going to wish for more success upon this, this, this congregation. That's right than this guy, and I, I know that, and so um, I'm, I'm so thankful that he's going to be here, I still will be counting on him, and, uh, and um, so I just want you guys to know that I continue to honor and be fiercely loyal to Pastor Bill, and I'm grateful that he's going to be here, and I know that you guys are too, and so that's, that's my heart there. Me too. Uh, what about other pastors? Pastor Vince is going to be on staff, available, and continuing on with his ministry as ever. Uh, who will be leading, leading youth ministry and college ministry? You want to talk about that? I'm, I'm going to be continue to do the, uh, when I come back, to, to do the young adults life group, so that'll stay in place. Um, most of you in here know Dalton Goo, and he has been kind of an assistant to me for quite some time now in the youth ministry. And uh, we've been talking and praying through this with him for some time, he and Christina about stepping into the role altogether and, and leading the youth group. And there's no one that I have more confidence in than that, that uh, young man of God. He loves the Lord. He loves his wife. He serves her well and sets a good example to the youth and the congregation. And Christina, frankly, she's also very uniquely gifted and able to serve the young ladies and be an example. Um, I trust him doctrinally, absolutely. And I'm so grateful that he's going to feed those 
those youths well. And Dan Bernard and Michaela, they're going to be assisting Dalton and Christina, kind of the way Dalton and Christina had been assisting me. And let me say this, I think that this is going to be uh, even better because I could love the kids and serve them, teach them, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a very fun guy, okay? I'm not uh, big into the games and athleticism and all that. And uh, these guys are, so they're going to take it to the next level, I'm convinced. Not only will they kind of bring what we've been bringing, but they're going to be able to do even better. So I'm um, very excited about that. I have 100% confidence in, in those two couples, and it's praise the Lord. Uh, is Pastor Bill still going to be on the worship team? Uh, the plan is for me to move into a more mentoring role. Uh, we have some good musicians and uh, it's kind of a, a good season right now if you've been praying about worship to, to contact Rob and we're probably going to be having a meeting. We'd like to mentor more. Um, it's just, uh, it's good for me to get off the platform in regards to, to worship because I, I, I'm not patting myself on the back but I know a lot. I have a music degree and I've done a lot of recording, a lot of songwriting and everything. And it's, I just find my, you know, it's just either I'm speaking into something or just me being here kind of prohibits the next younger leaders from having to make the decisions, you know. So it's kind of like, uh, it's just good for me. I'm going to be in the background mentoring. Rob's going to be really focusing on the trajectory of the worship and what he believes it should look like for this next season of the church and I'm, I'm, a, a, I'm an available music consultant. So, I mean, if nobody shows up and everybody's sick, I'll, I'll do it for sure, but pro- probably rarely, if at all. So, but I'm, I'm good with that. Um, are Pastor Bill and Debbie still going to be leading any ministries? Um, I'm going to be supporting him and taking orders from him, and Debbie's going to continue on uh, with the ladies' ministry, uh, the, the life groups and the retreats, and increasingly that's going to be a shared ministry. It kind of already is. Debbie's been uh, meeting with Jessica and Shauna and kind of co-laboring, putting their heads together. And, and eventually, kind of that ministry will, will, will shift in that direction. Uh, but for now, probably not noticeable changes, I would guess. And, yeah, please. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of you in here know this, um, but for those of you who don't, Jessica is pregnant. Um, and so tomorrow she'll be going into her second trimester. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Yep. So uh, Miss Debbie is very graciously willing to kind of continue on and carry a lot of the weight of the women's ministry, uh, particularly throughout the pregnancy and the, the early stages of, of the infant. Um, but Jess's heart, as many of you know, is to love the ladies, to disciple them, and, and to do teaching and things of that nature. So yes, that will, that will increase as time goes on, as Jess feels like she's uh, better able physically, emotionally, spiritually, to, to take more responsibility upon herself. So. We will still be attending the church. <laughs> uh, pastoral staff remains the same. We will continue to support all the missionaries that we have. Um, we're, we're always reviewing that. We make changes sometimes, but nothing, nothing needs to be changed right now. Is Rob in fellowship with other pastors? Yes, I am. And that has always been so important to me. From the very beginning, it was very natural for me to surround myself with godly men uh, who could teach me and train me and mentor me. And that has continued on. And now there are several pastors. We just came back from a pastor's conference. And it was amazing to me how many men I, I knew there. And I thought, that is so odd. Because even in the South, I didn't know that many people. And uh, so many men... Uh, from the very beginning of my Christian walk till now from all over the, the country, even in that I saw the Lord's hand. I thought, I have such a network here, I don't even know, I've only been here for a year and a half. Uh, so that is very important. We have, I have brother pastors locally. I have a very close friend in Tracy, a young guy, Alejandro. Uh, he's a dear brother, and so I I've certainly have a, a safety net and network. Pastor Nate Holdridge over in Monterey, Bill Holdridge's son, he's been a, a, a real help for me. And obviously Bill Holdridge and the Poyman ministry, most of you know, they serve pastors and kind of help, help be a support. And so we're, we've certainly been leaning on them quite a bit through this process and seeking wisdom and guidance, and they've been a real blessing, so yes. All the men that are go-to guys for me, I have go-to guys. And all of them, whenever I'm around them, I've been introducing Rob and Jessica. Every chance I get, if there's somebody speaking here, we go out to lunch, and I tell those guys, 
there's a real strong likelihood that these guys are going to you know, be leading the church in the future. So I want the guys that are go-to guys for me to be available to them. So that's been going on uh, pretty regularly. Um, <clears throat> what opportunities are there to get, Pastor, to know, get to know Pastor Rob and Jessica better? Uh, guys, we would love to meet with each and every one of you individually. It's, it's our heart to know you personally, um, whether we go out for coffee or have you over to our home or you invite us out. We will do our very best to, to make that happen. We love to talk to you here. I, I do my very best to try to really make my way around and, and aggressively talk to people out in the front parking lot as they're showing up out in the front door. As you know, I'm out there greeting you. Uh, often after the service, um, you know, I'll beeline to the donut table, and once I get that taken care of, then I'm totally good to uh, to talk. And so, um, yeah, you know, obviously with Jess being um, pregnant, and uh, things might be a little hectic there as far as um, having people into our home uh, in the next several months. But outside of that, uh, we are open. We want to know all of you personally to be able to pray for you and be available. 1516. Um, some of the questions, what is Rob's vision for the church? What is Jessica's vision for women's ministry? One of the reasons that Pastor Bill felt that, um, that I was a, a safe pick and, and that God's hand was on this is because we share the same DNA here. And so it's not my desire to come in and fundamentally change everything. Our core values, our distinctives, our doctrines, our heritage. I want to stay loyal and true to those things. And Pastor Bill has told me he's not big on legacy. And, um, you know, this is not his. This is the Lord's doing. But God called him here 27 years ago. He's been faithful. And it's not my intention to come in here and undo everything that he's done. Uh, I want to honor that. This, this man has a, a legacy here, and, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, having said that, um, God certainly will give me fresh vision, fresh ideas, and, uh, and, and that could go everything from you know, facilities to raising up new leaders, starting new ministries, um, you, you, you name it, um, our, kind of the direction we're going and, and different things. So uh, today is not the day to talk about those things. Um, that will come, but that is something I am eager to to uh, share with you guys and, and cast vision and, and bring you into it because it's not me, it, it's all of us going in the direction God is calling. So there will, there will be more to come at the appropriate time um, for that. As far as Jess goes, like I said, um, I pretty much hit on that. Uh, that's a little less developed at this point than kind of what Pastor Bill and I have discussed. Uh, the, the ladies' retreat it will happen again this year at Tahoe. But I know Jess has a, a desire to um, take women to other conferences and, and see what other churches are doing. And so there uh, will be some differences in that way. And, um, yeah, there will be similarities and differences uh, as, as it unfolds. Ladies' Treat will be in Tahoe next year. That's booked. After that, uh, seek the Lord. Uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning, women's Bible study will continue. Life groups will continue. Wednesday nights will continue. Rob will be teaching Sundays and Wednesdays. I'll be available to fill in if and when as needed. Um, what new ministries, events, major changes are going to happen right away? You know, really the, the biggest visual thing will be who's Rob's going to be teaching. You know, I'll be right there taking notes. And so that's going to be the, the most obvious thing. Other than that, probably things aren't going to right away seem very different. And so that'll be the only, I think, right, the only... Yeah, I mean, those things will be handled delicately. I'm not going to come out guns blazing and, and freak you all out, you know. So I want to be tender and delicate as, as we implement things. So certainly we will step into a new, a new season and, and there will be uh, changes, but uh, I'm going to be very sensitive and, and, you know, do it as God leads. So, What steps are going to be taken between now and October to do the transition? Uh, between now and October, as I said, uh, we'll be sharing the pulpit every other week. And other than that, uh, we're, just have, we're having staff meetings. We're discussing things. We meet on Thursday afternoons. We pray. We talk. Uh, we chat with some of you guys. And so um, Bill Holdridge has a great phrase. We're building the plane. We're flying the plane while we build it. 
And so that's kind of how it is here, you know. Uh, so a lot of it's a, it's a moving target. Ministry is always a moving target. It's not static at all. So we're functioning and we're planning for the next thing and letting other things go. And but we but we have, as Rob said, we have the common DNA. So we know, we know true north on the compass. So whatever the plane looks like, we're always going true north. So that's 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 kind of the the, the stable thing. Um, what can we do to help with the transition? Pray, pray and love the church. Keep your eyes on Jesus. What, the Bible study that I shared today. What specifically can we be praying for? Well, you can pray, pray for Rob and Jessica. They're stepping in to a, you know, into a new thing. It's a big deal. And um, as I said, people don't like change. I hope that nobody would leave here because it's different. It's, it's, this is our church family. And so um, I've always prayed that Cornerstone wouldn't be a, a consumeristic-minded group of people. I'll come just for this. If it doesn't suit me, I'm gone. That's not family. That's going to the mall. <laughs> you go to one church for worship, another church for the, for the preaching, and a third church for the donuts. I mean, that's not Christianity. We're community. We're supposed to be committed to one another. And so I pray that, that everything stays steady. Um, what ministries are, are needed? What ministries need people to serve in? Kids always. Kids, kids, kids. Please serve our children. Uh, are there areas in the church where people should be stepping up and taking ownership of places to serve more? Um, yeah, kids. Children's ministry is always in need. You know, um, really want to encourage the boomers, my generation out there. You raise your kids, you play with your grandkids. Now help with some other kids. You know, we don't raise kids and then say, "Ha ha, done." We're not done. We're not done till the Lord takes us home. Right? Amen. We're not just supposed to sit here and take up space. We're supposed to serve Jesus, and so. Boomers, you guys know how to handle. You guys know how to change diapers. Come on now, you know. I really would encourage you at least go in there and be a helper, and, and love love those kids. Um, are there going to be more meetings and updates between now and October? Probably not, but we don't feel like we need to do a big church meeting again. I don't think. And um, but we're always open to chat with you guys. And so if if, if questions come up and concerns and, and that kind of thing. This thing, this, none of this is behind closed doors or anything. This is so transparent and, you know, it's not a bait and switch. We're not going to say this and do that. and It's just out there. So, you, you know, what you're seeing is what you're getting and uh, no, other, no other agendas. So. Most of you know um, I'm Pastor Vince. If, you're not, if you don't know that, you haven't been here very long. <laughs> I've been serving Bill for 25 years as number two, and uh, it's been a, a real joy for me. And uh, since Rob has come, I've really grown to love him dearly and have every confidence that our church is really going to benefit from his ministry, from his service, and from his teaching. And uh, as much as I hate to think that uh, Bill won't be there for me to serve anymore, but I'm I'm very pleased that uh, they're keeping me around to uh, to work with Rob for a while. But my time is ending, uh, not not too different distant future, and uh, and so um, there's going to be more people that need to step up and and serve and uh, to love these guys and to uh, counsel. Uh, it's been my privilege to counsel so so many of you and and be on the inside of your your lives in such intimate and personal ways and i i really appreciate this so this is this is a mission uh, emotional time for all of us but i know god's doing a good work and i pray that uh, you will all feel confident that this is the lord's will and that uh, we're moving ahead into something good and uh, and uh, the bible tells us that uh, God has good works for us to do, and he prepares those good works. And uh, so we're all his children together as his body, uh, serving him and loving him. And I, I hope you all very, have a lot of confidence in what we're doing here. Thank you. God bless. Pastor Vince recently had a birthday. And... Um, I asked him on that day, I said, I'd like to bring you up in front of the church and honor you, Vince. And he said, no. 
but since he snuck one on me right now, I'm going to sneak one on him. It says in Hebrews chapter 13, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Pastor Vince has spoken the word to us, and we, and we do well to consider the life that he has li- lived and is living, considering the outcome of their conduct. And then in verse 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And I, I would like to just honor Pastor Vince in that he has been a go-to guy for me. He's talked me out of some s- crazy, stupid ideas. You guys don't know how blessed you are. <laughs> He's been a counselor for me. He's been a friend. Every once in a while he tries to hug me and I push him away. But, um, uh, you know, a lot of the, uh, the blessings that have come in this church have, have been him keeping me steady and stable. And so uh, notice those who have gone before us and who are older than us. We stand on, every one of us stands on somebody's shoulders. And we need to take note of those shoulders on which we stand and consider those lives and the outcome of those lives and the faith of those men and women that have made life a better place for us. And we need to honor them and consider them. And so thank you, Vince. Love you. Thank you so much, Lord. It's because of your love that we gather. It's because of your love that we are saved. Your love prompted you to send your holy, blessed Son to die on a cross for our sins. So, Lord, thank you. We who believe, we honor you in this place. We thank you. And we thank you, Lord, that you said that you would build your church and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it, Lord. So build your church, God. Use us. Use us to impact this community and, and beyond and to impact the world, Lord. So we receive now the bread, we receive the cup, and we honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.